Flinging waves, fox spear, lock is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex hat, Q has had enough of that, Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. We are live. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now. Yes, right now, 646-668-2433 is the phone number. We'll be live for the next two hours, and we're going to be talking about Star Trek Strange New World Among the Lotus Eaters, which was last week's episode. Um, Before we get too far, though, I want to go around and introduce my esteemed collection of Trexperts, and yes, the whole team is back together again, and we'll start off with Las Vegas and our very own Charles. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right, staying cool, but I feel sorry for any friends in the uh, in the country that are hitting, getting hit by the heat waves. I know we're going to be looking at the teens. For uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I know it's going to be hot. Yeah, well, we'll get through it. We always do, right? Yeah. Yep. And, uh, of course, we have our trifecta back again from Portland. We'll start off with David, the donut guy. How you doing tonight, David? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. This. Uh, just- kind of chilling in the hot weather as it rains troubles, I mean troubles, but you know, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's just been kind of uh, hard lately actually because we're about to hit the hot weather very soon, it's coming Saturday, it's going to get up into the little high 90s again, it's going to be like, oh no, and I have to be packing, and uh... <laughs> so it's going slow, but I'm getting there. Well, at least you have some truck talking to keep you busy, right? Yep. <laughs> talking is always fun. And also from Portland, we have our very own toy guy, Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, Doc. I'm doing all right. It's been a very interesting week and a very interesting day. <laughs> but uh, it, it, but it's all coming together okay. You know, did some work today. I was very, very happy with. So that's always a nice feeling when something that you're hoping to achieve works. <laughs> so, yeah. So cruising into... Uh, Proximity of the weekend feels good, so I think things are looking all right. Sorry for you though, it's man. I'm sorry for what you're, the weather you're experiencing there in Vermont has been like brutal, bro. 
brother. I am so sorry for that. It's like not something you should be, you know, trucking with this time of year for sure. It's it is it's radical. I mean, it's just I can't even explain it. One thing, one thing leaves and another one comes in. You know, like right now, uh, they're calling for tornadoes and and hail and heavy winds. And, oh, it's crazy. But uh, we got truck talking, and so that's that's good. That's getting me through. So all right, we're, we're gonna have so we got a lot to talk about tonight. So um, I wonder, I wonder if Pella up in up in Burlington in Vermont. I wonder. if if this is all her fault, if she's fooling around with something up there, and that's what's causing all this. You know, well, she's not quite tell. an engineer yet. She's experimenting. The Romulans are fooling around with time and stuff, and it could be causing a vortex. And Yeah, you never know. But at any rate. And uh, finally, last but definitely not least, our last Portlander, Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, you guys, I am doing good. I uh, had a little break last week, was uh, was away with the family at camp, enjoying the woods, and uh, basically concentrating an entire week's worth of time to exercising only our right brains. So uh, completely technologically disconnected, eating good food every day, playing guitar, writing poetry, doing the things that my brain loves to do. So... I'm in a super mellow mood to get this Trek talking game started, brothers. Well, we've got a great show, as I said, planned for you guys. As always, we are going to be talking about Strange New World among the Lotus Eaters. Uh, We have our scores from our Facebook fans, just like you. Go to our Facebook page and vote. Give the score of 1 to 10 of the episode, and we have those. Of course, we're going to give our host scores as well so that's going to be fun we have star trek birthdays and then we have some star trek news for you uh there's a new audio book coming out and i wonder who might be reading that one we're going to dive into that Uh, we have real life tricorders right around the corner as well and some familiar star wars or star trek uh, actors are getting stars on the hollywood walk of fame hmm i wonder and uh, last but definitely not least, we have uh, Star Trek, the animated series, the 10 must-see episodes. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our phone number here, once again, is 646-668-2433. And we always start off each podcast by saying thank you to you guys, our fans. And how do we do that, Eric? How do we know what fans to thank? Well, we know what fans to thank because we offer the opportunity in several ways to interact with us. We have a very active Facebook community, and you can either get to that by just going to Facebook and searching for Trek Talking and Beyond, which used to be our old name, or you can just go to trektalking.com, which is actually kind of the easy way to do it because name of podcast, Trek Talking, name of website, trektalking.com. You just go to the website and you can click on the big F uh, for the Facebook page if you like. And one of the things we like to do there is just, as we said, interact with our fans. Jim is like a meme machine. If you guys like Star Trek memes, you have to join our page because, honestly, all the best ones are aggregated and or created and or enjoyed there. And, uh, you know, some people just say, hey, but then some people are top fans. And top fan status means that you actually interact with us a lot. That means you make comments. Maybe you make posts on our page, that sort of stuff. And Jim just kind of randomly picks folks. Uh, we get some top fans for sure, but then we get some, you know, fans who are still – 
wishing that they had the volume to make them top fans, right? P- top fans in the making, per se. So, <laughs> so yeah, just go to trektalking.com, man. That's the easiest way to do it. You can say hello to us. We've even got a little feature there where you can hit the record button, and you can literally send us a personal message. And if you do that, sometimes Jim has free stuff to give away, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, we appreciate all our fans, whether you're top fan status, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're just going to trektalking.com and listening to our old episodes. We appreciate y'all. Yeah, and by the way, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, this is episode 541, cruising right along. So, so, so in other words, what you're saying, Jim, is you've got 540 episodes to go back and listen to before this one, right? All right, pause the show right yeah. now, guys. Um, we're going to need you to go back. <laughs> you got some work to do. <laughs> there, what would that be? That'd be over a thousand hours. I can't even imagine how much time that would take. But seriously, we do have some cool shows back there. You can even, I think, Jim, can't they search by keyword and stuff? Like, can they get to certain shows by searching for Gorn or searching for Pike or that kind of stuff? Can they do that? I I, I have the categories for the shows broken down by, there we go. by series. So there you we can go. search for Strange New World, TOS, DS9, Voyager. Uh, you can search for special guests. Anytime we have a guest on the podcast other than us, that's under special guests. So if you're looking for the show with uh, the uh, Michael Gorn stunt double, uh, you can go under special guests and find it that way. We also have Book Nook and Comic Corner. So if you're looking for a particular show, you can search for them that way. So Awesome. Yeah. That works. And, well, you know, it's very yeah. important to us to interact with you guys. So the more you interact with us, the better the podcast is because I get my ideas from you guys. So that's a really great way. And speaking of which, if you just look for a little heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, that means you're going to be mentioned in a future fan shout out. And Eric, are you in, in the mood to do some fan shout-outs? Oh, uh, it's my favorite part of the show. I absolutely am. We are very first starting out top of the order here with top fan Ilanka Liska, who is listening to us over there in Jülich, Germany. Ilanka, thank you so much for listening to us over there in Germany. We like that you're right there in the middle of Europe supporting the podcast obviously radiating good energy wherever you go and uh, making sure uh, hopefully that you're staying live long and prosper anytime you see uh, a fellow Trekkie or another human being who needs it. So thank you so much for supporting our podcast, Elanka Liska. We would like to say hello to you and peace and long life to you. Also saying hello this week to top fan Alex Macklin, who is saying hello to us from Bournemouth, England. Bournemouth, England. And we have uh, both the Union Jack flying and the UK flag flying from Alex. So, uh, Alex, we're feeling your energy, brother, right across the pond. We obviously have a special connection between our country and your country. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and for supporting us over there. Kapla to you, sir. We're also saying hello this week to Trevor Michael Morris, who says, greetings from Hong Kong. Live long and prosper with a little, uh, little hand to back it up and a little smiley face. So, Trevor, uh, Hong Kong is one of those places that has such an amazing history back and forth, right? It's in a new place these days. Uh, I hope you are living the dream there, brother, because it looks like a really cool city, and I would love to go there someday. So Trevor Michael Morris, thank you so much for supporting the podcast over there in Hong Kong. And last on my list is top fan Tibor Kolazar. Tibor Kolazar is saying hello from Hungary, another great country in Europe 
uh, we have some family connections to the country of Hungary, personally in my family. So uh, I hope to make it there one day. And you are a top fan, Tibor, as well. So thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast as much as you do. And Charles, I have a feeling that you're going to want to bring it back stateside. Am I correct? Oh, definitely, because I can translate a little easier. Let's start off with a greetings to Aunt Z from San Francisco, California, home of Star, home of Starfleet Academy, and she and they give us the live long and prosper symbol. Greetings to Bonnie Moss from Burlington, North Carolina. I hear a lot of chatter about people going off and having family in North Carolina or visiting North Carolina, so popular place right now. Greetings to top fan, Judy DeChant, and she is from Tennessee. Gives us a smiley face and a USA flag. Finally on my list, uh, greetings to Sharon Diane Hertz from Saskatoon, Canada, in the middle of the Canadian prairies. I hope it's nice and cool up there for you, Shannon. David, who's on your list? Yeah, hi. So I would like to give a hello to Donna Trapp from State College, Pennsylvania. And another hello to Mary Gibson Fox from Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, she gives a little uh, Vulcan symbol there. Uh, another hello to top fan, Bev Bead Larkin from Pflugerville, Texas. And last one on my list is top fan, Gene Schaffer from Crawfordville, Indiana. Paul, who's on your list? Thanks, David, my friend. Well, you know, we all love it here at Trek Talking that we're able to prove each and every time we get together and convene that Star Trek is a global phenomenon and nothing proves that more than the enthusiasm we share during this segment. So excited to be able to say hello and kapla to all kinds of folks all over the world. First of all, I'd like to say howdy and kapla to Michel Matthias Yosef on the beautiful Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. Wow. If you're there, I don't think you're ever going to leave. <laughs> Might get a storm every now and then, but... Uh, that's a that's pretty idyllic, uh, Misal. So thanks for giving us uh, a shout out and for uh, flying the Trinidad and Tobago flag proudly. Great to hear from you. Uh, moving into a little bit more northerly climbs, we are saying hello to fan Alex Ehlers Mansell in the glorious land of Denmark. Absolutely beautiful flag flying prominently. And then spin that globe, spin it, spin it, spin it. And you're going to drop down on the other hemisphere on the completely other side of the planet. And you're going to say hello to our good friend, Star Trek fan, Rafi Jose in Manila in the Philippines. Wow. Turn on that air conditioner, Rafi. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's it a little humid down there. Um, Philippines is, of course, famous for many things, but it's also famous for being a frankly, mecca of the toy collecting community, as I might know. There's just all, <laughs> there's a lot of toy enthusiasm going on in the Philippines. So I wonder if Rafi is part of that same community. And finally, for me, I'd like to say an enormous hello and thank you for being a fan to Edwin Miravang 
who is writing to us from Norway, high above the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. Fantastic place. I have just about never, ever, ever, ever seen a picture of any square foot of Norway that doesn't make it just look absolutely enchanting. Mm-hmm. What an incredible place. Definitely high on my list of destinations to travel to someday. But for now, uh, for everyone, it is absolutely wonderful to hear from you all. Thanks for being fans of both Star Trek and this podcast. And now I'll turn it over to Jim. Well, guys, we got a couple more to say thank you to. And I want to start off by saying thank you and kapla to John Holbrook Jr., who says he's stationed at Starbase Oswego, New York, currently in command, live long and prosper. Captain Hulebeck. I'm assuming Star, that uh, uh, Starbase is a fan club. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, Charles. Does that plug into the like your ship? Like, do you know if there are star bases in addition to ships? Yeah. Yeah, there are occasionally uh, some star bases. Depends on the organization of the uh, of that fleet. Got it. Okay, so a, would a starbase like is there a hierarchy? Like, would a starbase be a you know organization kind of further up the pyramid than a ship necessarily, or would it just be like whatever well, they choose to call themselves? Uh, one of our groups here does have a starbase, starbase fifty one, which then the ships are docked to. Ah, but they yes. then report to the they then report to the starbase, which then reports the fleet itself. So maybe this is the uh, – in a bigger city where you've got kind of like more of this kind of stuff going on, you might have a hierarchy that's a little bit deeper, whereas if you're you know, out in the rural areas or smaller towns and stuff, you might just have your own Star Trek ship that is a, is a club for fans to get together, but you might not have an organizing star base for the area per se. Makes yeah, sense. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of bureaucracy, man. I don't know if I can I'm handle just saying. It. Well, you know what I love, guys, is I like honestly, I just always love to shout out that kind of stuff because I love that fans organize themselves in all sorts of different ways. And, you know, Jim loves to tell stories about the old days of the conventions and stuff. And it feels like it feels like ships and star bases and things like that to me are kind of a remnant of pre-Internet days. It's a group of fans who get together to do stuff Star Trek related in person. And I mean, they might do virtual stuff too, but, but I think the Genesis was definitely in, in person get togethers. And I, I love that. I just love that that has kind Very of survived cool. all the other stuff. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. That's, yeah. That's a topic for another day, but yeah, there are ships. Ships are starting to get back together and start doing a lot of working in individual ships and getting together in larger groups. Yeah. It's interesting. We don't have a ship per se in Portland, but we do have a very active fan group called Star Trek Fans of the Northwest, and I'm, I am part of that, and they do viewing parties, um, they do get-togethers for when, like, Rathacon is playing at some regal cinema in the area, or, you know, that sort of thing, and um, it was started by a, a man years and years and years ago who we unfortunately lost, and it was carried on by the fans, and so it's not organized as a ship but it's definitely a dedicated group of fans oh. that loves to do stuff together. You could well, choose to form up as a ship or well, join a fleet. That is true. Well, there you go. Speaking of ships, I'm going to give myself a shameless plug right now. I am the commander 
of a Klingon starship here in Rutland, Vermont, for the Klingon Assault Group, the IKV Denal. And I'm the captain, the first officer, and the entire crew because I have nobody else on my ship but me. <laughs> so, that means you get all the blood wine. <laughs> I'm in the corner arguing what? with myself. I'm going to assassinate myself. You <laughs> assassinate yourself. <laughs> I love it. So if I want to move up in the ranks, I have to kill myself. <laughs> I have to kill myself. So if there's anybody listening in in uh, Vermont that would like to be a member of my ship, just head over to CAG and uh, join up. I would love to have someone else on the bridge besides me. So I love it. There you I have. love it. That's so Shameless cool. <laughs> um, getting back to our fan shout-outs that we kind of veered off a little bit, I'm going to kind of bring us back. Um, I want to say thank you and kapla to uh, Do Be Wild. Uh, I think, yeah, Do Be Wild, who is in northwestern Vermont. So that's right in my neck of the woods. I also want to say thank you and kapla to Dan. He's living in Buffalo, New York. I wonder if they dug out of that eight feet of snow that they had earlier. Buffalo, unbelievable, the amount of snow they get. That just blows my mind. Incredible. And last but absolutely not least, top fan Seth Menengale, who says he was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Represent. Yo. Represent. <laughs> my grandparents lived in Brooklyn, New York on 53rd Street between 5th and 6th Avenues, and I spent my summers there. Sitting on the stoop looking down the hill, I could see right across the harbor to the Statue of Liberty. There's a great pizza place on 5th Avenue called King's Pizzeria, and uh, I have fond memories of Brooklyn and Coney Island and all that stuff. So thank you for being a top fan, Seth, and kapla. All right, guys, so that wraps up our fan shout-outs. And as we said earlier, we really appreciate your interaction on our Facebook page. And every Friday, yes, Friday, as in tomorrow, I will post a post asking you, scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. So in this case, we're going to be tallying up the scores for last week's episode among the Lotus Eaters. Tomorrow afternoon-ish, I will have the scores up for Charade, which is tonight's episode. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about among the Lotus Eaters? Well, top fan Susan Fox said she gave it a solid six. I thought it was going to be a big callback to the cage, but not in the way I was expecting. I made my partner watch the first half of the cage, though, just to show why I was jumping up and down quite so much. Thanks, Susan. Uh, Brian Larney cranked it up to a 9.5. This could be my favorite SNW episode to date. Classic Trek. Top fan Brian Kane said a solid eight for me. Very much a classic Star Trek story. The writing consistently falls down on the, quote, show-don't-tell principle. But episodic TV has always suffered from that. I thought the scene with Ortega's freaking out was excellent, and I was glad to see her get a little more screen time this week. But we really need a full episode for her. Thanks, Brian. 
top fan Douglas Bowring said a solid seven, I'd say. I felt like it dragged a little, but that's okay. doesn't lessen my enjoyment of the series as a whole. As someone else mentioned on here, not every episode can be a ten. Barry Monty Montrose gave it an eight. Very enjoyable and great to see what Pike would be like if he didn't have the guiding principles of Star's Fleet to restrain him before he got his memories back. Mm, interesting, Barry. What is the real Pike? Let's talk about that today. Michael J. Dremel said a 7.5. Loved how you could see the forgetfulness progression, especially on the ship. Cortez saves the day with a delightful uh, computer medley, her and the computer medley. Yeah, I think there's, uh, I think with the music there, maybe. Uh, Pike shows his darker side for just a moment, but his memories and feelings nag and bring him closer to his truer self. Finally, he realizes his feelings for Battelle and the reconciliation and recognizing their feelings. And finally, not just FWB will be interesting to see how this relationship develops. Thanks, Michael. Matthew Erdan said a four. I like the character development between Pike and his love interest. The rest of the story wasn't particularly compelling and was rather predictable in that the problem of memory loss would be solved and everyone would be fine. Definitely something that Star Trek in general, uh, particularly in an episodic, uh, or a, yeah, an episodic way, uh, you know, suffers from Matthew, so I wouldn't disagree with you. He gave it a four. Top fan Christos Charsoli said nine. An excellent portrayal of how terrifying early stages of neurodegenerative diseases can be uh, to the afflicted. Also an excellent portrayal of the impact memories have on personalities. That is a very interesting conversation that I also want to dip into. Thank you, Christos. Top fan Tom Patrick said eight. Felt like it dragged a little. I wanted to see more Ortegas, and I missed why she was angry with Spock. I think Mbega's war past is interesting, but I want to see him in more of a doctor capacity and not as a fighter. Mmm, mmm, Tom. I want to talk about that one for sure. Top fan Pat Reed Wright said nine, only because the high-pitched ring sound is a bit overdone. Oh, man. I literally had my volume on like 40 or something, and I had to turn it down to 15 every time it came on. Thanks, Pat. Uh, totally agree with you. Uh, sorry, I know I'm not supposed to opinionate during this time, but I couldn't help it. And top fan Eddie Galson said solid episode, but very meh at the same time. It wasn't an Ortega's episode as much as, as it was a Pike episode. She's due. Weakest of the season and second from last place of the series thus far behind... Lift us where silence has no lease. Hmm, interesting. Cool to see a return to Rigel 7 and all, and Ortega's got a hero moment with threading the needle. Well, a 6.5 or maybe a 7, yeah, yeah, let's say a 7. I might ironically be forgotten. Uh, it might be ironically, sorry, it might ironically be forgotten among the other episodes of the season. So, yeah, an average 7, I think, is what Eddie is saying. Uh, he also said, love that Pike effed up with his relationship. He's not perfect, which is completely relatable. Also, Captain Battelle is gorgeous. Yowza. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. And uh, Jeff L. Crowder said, Pike blocking the phaser bolt with the serving platter <laughs> would have made Captain America proud. Solid nine for me. And top fan Jerry Norris said, 10. Old school style. True trek all the way. 
So, guys, that gives us a fan score this week of 7.8. And, you know, 7.8 is absolutely respectable. Uh, It is second overall this season to the 9.3 of Episode 2. So uh, let's talk about it. Absolutely. But first, first, we have to hear from Charles. Well, this episode was a little harder to come up with a lot of stuff to look back on. Though I found a few, and I'm sure if you do research, you can find a few more. The main thing we're going to get here is TOS, The Cage, and Discoveries if Memory Serves, Season 2, Episode 8, Rigel uh, Rigel 7, and the mission prior to Talus 4, and Dina. And they can talk about memory loss. We got a few episodes. I got a few mostly in just TOS and TNG. So I'm sure there's a few more out there. TOS is the Naked Time, Season 1, Episode 4. TOS, The Paradise Syndrome, Season 3, Episode 3. The next three are TNG, The Naked Now, Season 1, Episode 3. Future Imperfect, Season 4, Episode 8, and Conundrum, Season 5, Episode 14. All deal with usually the crew or a few people losing their memories. I'm sure there's a far more out there, but it was a little more difficult to find all the different episodes out there. So let's talk about the episode. I was going to say, you got the cage, which is the big one. Right. So... Uh, we want to. Uh, why don't we let David jump in and take take the engine on this one? David, you wanna tell us what you thought about the episode? What are we talking about? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Um, <laughs> was that a joke? Triple joke. <laughs> There'll be no triple uh, to law, Captain. <laughs> so yeah, um, I don't know this. This particular episode I thought was a little strange, considering that we went straight from a time travel episode, and it's supposed to be uh, episodic and everything, it went straight into a forgetful kind of thing, where it was just kind of like, I mean, that was a good callback to the uh, original series, which apparently, from what I understand, actually never aired on TV back in the day. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So... It was an interesting callback to that, and the idea that, yeah, he had lost crew on that planet from back in the day, but then when they came up to this episode, speaking in timeline-wise, you would think that Pike would have known about the whole memory loss from back in the day when he lost those crew members and yet and somehow he didn't understand that he lost his memory or that he forgot about it, I guess. I don't know. It, it's just for some reason that plot didn't really catch on to me for some reason. Well, David, I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend the plot necessarily, but here's what I'll say. I believe the story is that the, the Rigel seven stuff, right. All we hear about 
uh, is in the cage. And it, we don't have any, hear any details about what happened at Rigel 7, but my impression has always been that that was some sort of space battle or space thing. And there was like a little bit of uh, planet stuff going on, but that this episode is the first time that these people actually like spent a lot of time. No, that's completely, that's, that's not true at all because it's like during the scene with the doctor in the, because you see the same scene, not just in the cage, but in the menagerie. And there's the scene where uh, Pike's all depressed and he's talking to his doctor and he's drinking and he goes, I should have seen the, I should have seen the signs when I saw the swords and the armor, right? And they, they've been in that the same, yeah. you know, fortress before. And then he even talks about being in the fortress. And basically he kind of let his guard down and three members of the landing party got killed. So he's been there before when there's been no mention of this amnesia stuff whatsoever. And, well, you know, is it, but there was apparently some really scary fight with the Kalor dude who was like gigantic that they recreated for him when he was a prisoner in the cage. So, but yeah, I, I got the impression that he's definitely, this is supposed to be like a, a traumatic place for him. Right. That's yeah. what David thought. I agree with you, David. Yeah. It well, just, so, it's just a, a little weird. Oh, well, just to clarify that just a tiny, tiny bit, uh, Una specifically states at the very beginning of the episode that it was the shortest away mission ever. They were only on the planet for four hours. Right. And which is why the from what I understood last time. Well, I from what I understood from the episode, you had to be on the planet for twenty four hours for the forgetting to happen. Mm. That's why they left them outside mm. for the the forgetting. It's fully so true. It's the Una line that it's the Una line that provides the clue to that guys because she says they were only on the planet for four hours before. For four hours, and if you were Still. inside the castle, the castle <laughs> is built out of this this stone oh. that prevents them from losing their memory. So yeah. that's so that, convenient. That's it's so great it. that that stone is there. That's awesome. It's almost like a writer came up with it. It's so <laughs> what a great coincidence. It's so and convenient. Very convenient. I, and, man, the space is convenient when you need it to be. God damn, that's amazing. But, and, oh, and don't man. forget, he also <laughs> mentions the helmets that they wear protect them as well. Oh so my god, I you're know. Outside and you wear a helmet. It's so great. It's like there's a shopping store <laughs> on the planet that has everything you need just so when you need it. That's where the tinfoil helmet. Exactly. But only super so smart, a helmet, conveniently placed people can find it. That's so great. That's right. <laughs> If you're outside without a you know, helmet, I couldn't you're find doomed. it if I was only there for four hours. But if I was there for, gosh, I don't know, let me think about it. Twenty-four uh, hours? Maybe there I could go. find it. Yeah. So exactly. if I was, you know, you know, so it's like kind of like finding the right camping spot. You know, you can't just pitch your tent the first place you see it. You yep. need to check everything right. out. Yeah. Yep. So okay. You gotta look Zach, for the helmet. Zach was smart. Look enough. for the rock. Okay. I'm with you. Sorry, we're interrupting right. David. Back to it, David. Get in here, David. Oh, well, that's Sorry. Good, David. Yeah, save us. <laughs> it's actually I had to mention the, you know, nonsense, so there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so now all that's been cleared up. <clears throat> um, Thank God. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it's it's interesting story. I have to agree. It was kind of a classic uh, feeling going back to the idea that, you know, Star Trek is Star Trek, so it, we're going through the story plot, and it, I do like how that there is a um, 
Uh, you guys are not going to forget this, but I just had a brain fart. I completely forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, <laughs> excellent. Welcome to the club. Yeah, I've done it. You're in big cribble now. I get it today. Yeah. I must be inside that building. <laughs> oh, you have your helmet maybe on? I'm okay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Um, either way, I, I, I think this episode is definitely up there with the score for me, but not as far as 10. The, the, I think that was really the major plot thing that I had trouble with to kind of comprehend was why that he somehow forgot that the planet was a forgetting thing. But as you guys described, it was a sort of away mission. Maybe it was a 24-hour effect. But the, the thing that's bothering me the most right now, actually, is that this planet... You would think that multiple Federation ships would have visited this planet over even before Pike went there. So wouldn't they have somehow categorized this planet as a hazard area, you think? But I don't know. That's, I guess that's just my common sense for the tech on it. But <laughs> to me, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. What? Once, once again, once again, Una provides the explanation, and it's like the helmets and the rocks. Um, Una says at the beginning of the episode that every five years, uh, Starfleet sends a vessel and they wanted the Enterprise to go there and Una wanted them to recluse themselves because of what happened. And Pike said it was their mess to clean up because they left it behind originally. So every, every five years, a ship goes there. So the Enterprise went there the first time and now the Enterprise went there the second time. So no other Federation ship has been there since the Enterprise was there, according to Una. Man, I really need to rewatch these episodes. <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> Just pay attention but, to what Una says. She okay. you all the information. <laughs> She's wearing the helmet. But, yeah. She's got um, the helmet <laughs> with a little red spotlight flashing on the top. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this episode, um, I did I did like the idea that they uh, are going back to the um, the classic TOS of, like, visiting a planet and keeping everything visually the same, give or take. Even though the cage, yes, it didn't really go to Rigel 7. That was just basically a memory that was plucked out from the Telosian. But... Um, to me, I, I, I really appreciate that they're keeping the continuity. I, I did like the idea that um, being a big, huge fantasy fan, as I am already, I did like the whole knight in armor and everything, even though they had laser weapons. But either way, just the idea that uh, it was kind of in a setting of that type of film or genre, as you could say. To me, I really appreciated the um, the architecture, the uh, the, the um, what do they call it? The citadel part again. <laughs> the what? The citadel. Is the, that what they called it? The artwork, I guess you could say. I, the, I, or the map yeah. painting. Yeah, I, I actually did like the um, the background, the moon. The the hue of the the colors they chose for this, yeah they uh, actually they, there was actually an article about that David and they talked about how they took the original background from the Rigel Seven matte painting which was considered one of the 
like best matte paintings ever done for the original series, yeah. and they tried to replicate aspects of it in this episode. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you guys ever watched the uh, radio room, but they talked about how they filmed this episode in particular. They had this huge, uh, I forgot what the word is now, but they were on set and they literally could see what they were looking at as they uh, were performing their acting. So they actually had a visual representation of what the planet looked like and so they could react to what they were, um, uh, what the the story would basically. So I, I forgot what the set was okay, called. It's, it's, like a, it's like the uh, it's like the volume on the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, that yeah, called? It's called? Like that's what they're they're trying. Uh, yeah, these great big uh, these great big walls now. It's just it's kind of like uh, Charles's sphere there in Vegas. Same kind of thing. It's just you know, <laughs> lots and lots of uh, LEDs that you can perform with. I think actors enjoy it though. Yeah. Yeah, and from what I understand, from what uh, Anton Mount was saying, is that you really have to get used to filming in that kind of location because apparently, if you're not used to it, and they they start switching the environment around, you can actually become very dizzy. Sure. And you could fall over, and it's like, yeah. I I appreciate what they had to go through to actually get this uh, film out. So, to me, yeah, this episode, I was originally going to give it like a 7 or an 8, but I'm actually probably going to be giving it now about an 8.5. It's not really quite up there with the the whole time-traveling episode, but to me, I... Well, I... Go ahead. I I wanted to just... Yeah, what was your score? <laughs> Let him close, yeah. It's just basically an 8.5. I was going to give it a 10, but, you know, it's the idea that it just didn't quite line up to what I enjoy about Trek. So, to me, yeah, it's just an 8.5. Well, I wanted to interject a little story, David. Uh, you're right. The Cage never aired on television. Uh, they made the Menagerie Part 1 and 2 out of the Cage. But way, way, way back in 1991... Uh, they released it um, on, now I'm going to date myself, on LaserDisc. And I special ordered it. When, when Discworld called me that it came in, I ran down to get it. And we all sat around at my house on a LaserDisc, and we watched The Cage with a special introduction by Gene Roddenberry. And that was the first time we had seen that full episode without the menagerie parts in it. And, and it was really exciting. And I loved it. And now, of course, it's all over the place. But back then, it wasn't. So that was a really cool piece of Star Trek history to see for the first time. So that was neat. Hmm. Cool. Hey, Charles, you want to you want to jump in next, Charles? Uh, okay. A couple of fan comments. Ambega. I want a backstory on Invega. I don't know if it has to be part of Strange New Worlds, if we could do a novel, something. I am curious about what he was doing during the Klingon War, because I don't think he was on the ship evading the Klingon war. I think he was actively involved in it. And I'd like to know more about what happened. Charles, I'm interested in how you feel about uh, what our 
listener said where they said, you know, I'm, that they felt that they weren't sure if they completely liked Mbenga as a fighter versus a doctor and they were sort of hungry for more doctor stuff. How do you feel about that? Well, we've always had more of – our doctors have always been more pacifists. I'm curious about seeing a doctor that maybe is one to get in there and get their hands dirty a bit. I kind of like what they're doing with Mbega, and I'd like to get a little more detail on it. Yeah, oh, sure, he could be more of a doctor. Right, let's stereotype. I don't want to stereotype. Let's make the doctor a little different. I would like to see a little more of maybe the doctor. And, because we focused so much on his daughter last season. Now we're focusing a lot more on him. And I like to see a direction of dealing a little more with this, the doctor now versus what he was back in season one. Uh, Our group talked about, oh, let's go visit strange new places. This was more of a look back to what happened in the past. Let's go back and revisit the past. And I don't know if we really need to be going back into the past. I'm trying to think. I knew there were some comments people said, and I don't remember what they said. Definitely, I see. Definitely, I think Ortegas needs it. I think there was an interesting point there when she's like, My name's Ortegas. I fly the ship. I like how she was able to conquer what was going on, but I'm not sure that really saved the episode for me. Uh, so what would you score on it, Charles? One. I'm trying to come up with a score, and uh, I think with Ortegas and a little bit of stuff we saw, I might bump it up just a little bit and give it that extra 0.5 to a 7.5. 7.5. All right. Well, that's um, about though. where the fans are with this one. Well, I just I want to jump in here real quick uh, and just so there's just a couple points I want to make, and then I'll turn it on over to Paul. Um, first of all, I think for me, it's for Pike to abandon a crew member. Any crew member is completely on Pike-like. From what we know and we have seen of Pike, he would risk everything for his crew. And for him to just to just leave three bodies and he, and one of them that he doesn't even didn't even know the dude was dead is completely out of character. I, I don't buy it from the version of Pike that we see, particularly on Discovery. It's just very on Pike like for him to abandon somebody. So that okay, I guess it works like the magic rocks and the magic tinfoil helmets, I guess, but for the plot. But there was that. And then, you know, why, if he only beamed down with, I'm assuming that it was Pike, Fox, and those other three people that got left behind. I don't think it was more than that. At least I didn't get the information. Maybe Una was, was Una there. Was Una involved? Sure. Yeah, maybe her. But She might have been. 
So why did they bring an entire case of phaser rifles for a few people? And why did Pike leave all the phaser rifles behind? Because if you think about it, if three people, if three people were killed, there should have only been three phaser rifles. Because it's, I'm assuming that Pike brought his back and Spock brought his back and Una brought hers back. So the only, there should have only been three missing, not an entire case full to arm all these Kalar. So that was, so, you know, those are just a couple of points that I noticed that was like, didn't really fit too well with what we know. And of, of course, I think you mentioned it earlier, Eric, Pike getting his dark side coming out when he lost his memories. And that was interesting to see that Pike was actually going to kill, what was his name, Jose? Um, I forgot the guy's name. Whatever it was, he Zach. was punching it the was heck Zach. out of his face, and it was it was a lot of punching. It was Pike, it was Pike yeah. as Negan from The Walking Dead, basically. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's what I yeah. that's what I saw. Yeah, it's very I'm just gonna un- keep hitting, and gonna hitting extremely and hitting unpleasant and, and unnecessary. Yeah, I, you know, I it was yeah, not uh, not a good thing. Gross. Not not good. Very unpike like. I did enjoy the Ortega thing though. I think oh that was the other thing I wanted to mention. So. The shuttlecraft could only be piloted by one person that's skilled enough to do it. It's Ortega's, of course. But you've got to stay on the ship so Pike can do it. Well, then it couldn't have been that dangerous then if Pike is going to do it. And when Pike does it, they're flying through the atmosphere, la-di-da-di-da-di-da. And, in fact, Mbenga is standing up the whole time. And he goes, well, it might be choppy. Hold on to your seats. And Mbenga is just standing there. So. Why did they need Ortegas in the first place if Mbenga's just going to stand around and Pike is going to just coast the shuttle in? It wasn't, didn't appear to be very dangerous to me from what they showed. Uh, but, you know, I'm just nitpicking, but still. Um, back to the ship. When Ortega had to thread the needle, that was some cool-ass shiznick right there. I was like, whoa, that's cool. Um, you know, and like David said, why was she mad at Spock? I, I don't don't know. They never really made that clear why she was angry at all. And then I thought the whole ship losing their memory thing was kind of like, you know, like, I, wouldn't the Enterprise have this magic metal on it that the helmets had on the planet? I mean, I would have thought, I don't know, the Heisenberg compensators would have, you know, taken care of that sound and, sound doesn't travel in space i don't know so yeah but i i did really like the pike and patel story like one of the other characters uh our listeners said i really i like her a lot i think she's really really good for for pike and i was really happy that they got back together at the end and he saw the air of his ways and got back with her because he, he really needs her counterbalance i think i think it's going to come in into play later on down down the road. So that was my thought on the episode. Um, oh, and, and, um, and Benga. I think Charles touched on it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't mind seeing, Mbeng, seeing a doctor that, that's not, you know, a pacifist. It doesn't really bother me. But I would have thought that there would have been other people on the ship that were trained in combat besides the doctor. And what about La'an? She's supposed to be security chief and she gets stabbed by this, I don't know. Anyways, that, those are my thoughts, my brief thoughts, because I want to 
turn it over to uh, Paul here. But um, so I'm gonna, I'm going to go with a seven on this one. Actually, you know what? Seven point one. How's that? Seven point one. Wow, the decimals for me. You guys in the decimals, You're I will kind. never understand it if I live to be a hundred. Hundred point one. Talk about an inability to commit. It's just crazy. All right, uh, let's let's talk about this episode. All right, um, I'm gonna first of all echo one of our fans' comments on here. I think it was Susan Fox. Right, was super excited. When, oh, my God, it's going to be Rigel 7, and we're going to go back to the cage. and da, 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 da. It's going to be super cool. And then you watch the episode. <laughs> not, not, wah, wah. Not, yeah, not what I was hoping for, even remotely. I found this episode incredibly tedious and really, uh, really annoying and, and just lazy writing all the way through. Um, um, I'm going to try not to belabor it too much because I'd rather be positive, but there's nothing positive to talk about here for me. Um, there's just not. Um, the whole, I like the whole, I mean, it's very mythic from Trek past, right? Rigel 7, the Kalor, great big monstrous guy. And you give me this episode and I don't get a fight with a great big monstrous guy. This is the biggest Ted Cassidy. I'm like really kind of, you know, where is put it? off. It's like, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like false advertising. It's like, where, where are you? Kalor is like this nine foot tall freaking you know warrior of warriors that's what i need and i never got anything that instead i got a character named luke or luck or whatever who was like some philosophy professor at hunter college who took too much lithium i mean he's just like <laughs> <laughs> just wondering oh man there's really no point you know just keep i've heard it's really good not to feel good about anything just help me break these rocks and we'll carry them over this wheelbarrow and then we'll talk some more about things we can't do anything about. And what's the point really, dude? I mean, just come on. Oh, I was just like so annoyed by that character. I can't even tell you. It was just like a, a complete, he just sucked the life out of every scene he was in. You know, it was just terrible to me. Um, and so that, it was just a real put off. Like uh, Jim just said, too, everyone was really out of character. Um, I was extremely put off by the, uh, the Pike being violent scene that did not work for me at all. Um, it's like, okay, Co, you've lost your memory. You've lost your training. You've lost your discipline. Your memory makes you into basically you know, Neanderthal man. Okay, great. Doesn't seem to work. And again, the chief of security being so easily uh, stabbed, who's got no combat expertise. She's not as good of a fighter as Dr. Mabenga. I mean, come on. It's just preposterous. And I was really, 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 really annoyed by the whole nonsense with Ortegas, where she's like wait, wait, a weird. Paul, yeah. Were you really annoyed or just really annoyed or really, really, really annoyed? I mean, well, don't hold as, the back. Munchkin, as the Munchkins like to say in The Wizard of Oz, I was really, really, really annoyed. <laughs> She's really, really, really dead. Um, the whole thing where she's like an infomercial and she's breaking the fourth wall and she's introducing herself repeatedly. I'm Erica Ortega and I fly this ship. I thought that was just preposterously stupid. It was like this weird, pretentious fourth wall breaking and it just didn't work at all. It was really really ham-fisted and, and just, you know, I, I like the bit at the beginning where she's looking forward to going on the landing party and then she's disappointed because she doesn't get to. That was a nice little character moment, but what everything else they did with her was complete nonsense, uh, I thought. And where she's, you know, this is a gigantic spaceship. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of seeing this in Star Trek where these, you know, uncountable metric tons of starship are being flown around like, you know, 
like drones. And, like you a know, fighter. Like, like, yeah, like really preposterously at high speeds. And, you know, I don't care much how much inertial dampeners you may have, right? You're still going to have some feeling of that. And they're just flying way too goofy. I feel like these episodes are written by a bunch of 20-somethings who don't really understand science fiction, but who've seen a lot of Fast and the Furious movies. And that's kind of what I'm getting lately. And, you know, the the Citadel uh, matte painting that we were all talking about that was really beloved, they felt unnecessarily over-designed. It had to be this weird vertical thing instead. And so you're the weird dudes who are now worshiping Zach because Zach discovered the helmet. And what they chose to do that put the whole plot in motion anyway is, is make carve of the Delta symbol on the roof. Mm-hmm that that's going to be knowing that somehow people would see it. And if they did see it, they would come there and take all your shit away from you. That makes none of that makes any sense. It's a preposterous catalyst to start the, uh, to start the plot in motion. So, you know, it really just damn near nothing that worked for me at all. I thought this was a misfire on pretty much every level. Um, really lazy writing. Um, sorry, writers, you know, and especially I'm of solidarity with you because you're on strike right now. But this was not good work. It certainly wasn't good Star Trek. It was dressing up to pretend to be good Star Trek, but the execution was really, for me, ham-fisted. If I never see that Luke Luck character again, it'll be too soon. The dude's just like, you know, make you want to jump off a cliff, this guy. He's <laughs> just like, you know, why bother, man? Uh, just give up and better to forget i mean what what were you what is the message here and just the whole premise of there being radiation that can give you amnesia i just thought was just ludicrous and with this giant star trek that you have this starship can't detect that this radiation is there everyone's constantly getting caught with their pants down on this show as an excuse to have a contrived plot and we need to have smarter characters we need to have smarter protocols and people need to be behaving like professional organization of explorers but they act this is like fast times at ridgemont high goes to space lately and we need it to be smarter so for me i would wrap it up by saying i would give this and i'm being generous a five um i just don't think it was a particularly good episode um i expect better you've done better so please do better five for hmm. five or five five point one five point three one four two five seven no i'm uh yeah i'm like you know uh, you know, uh, it's I'm a round numbers guy. You know, it's just like uh, reaching you know, for a five. Reaching. Every piece of every movie criticism in the world uses a uh, round number. No one does points, whatever. So that's just how I just think things should be. You know, based on the previous fifty. We years love that about you, Paul. Film criticism that have come before, <laughs> but I know you guys have your slide rules and you like that, so it's okay. <laughs> You know, enjoy it. Bring out the, the the Gantt chart or whatever you need. It's okay with me. I don't care. It's, I just can't. <laughs> it's a totally different kind of chart. <laughs> I know. That's why. I just can't do it, dude. I just can't do it. Can I'm I try add to annoy you. to that? I'm just trying to annoy you. Please do. And then we'll, yeah. pass, then we'll pass it over to Eric. Well, yeah, sorry. I was going to add something really quick because Paul mentioned something about the whole radiation thing, and I just realized, what was the Enterprise doing just fleeing that asteroid at the very end, out in the middle of nowhere, and in space, objects keep going until acted yep. upon by another force. And I'm like, these poor planets are in the way of getting that same same thing. I mean, 
Whatever maybe happened to Phaedrus or torpedoes? Yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe it'll show up in the in the discovery finale. You know, <laughs> so, oh, what's this coming towards us? <laughs> So to me, yeah, that, just that, that uh, kind of I, made I, me wonder. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of loose ends like that, Earth. right? <laughs> and a lot of things that just feel like really written by a contemporary, 21st century Los Angeles resident in a Starbucks, and yeah. that's how a lot of these episodes are feeling to me. They do not feel like somebody well versed in science fiction or uh, the tropes. A of writer Star Trek. for hire. <laughs> yeah, it was just you know, I mean, they're trying their best. I'm sure they're I'm sure they're lovely people have dinner with them. I'm sure we'd laugh it up and have fun, but it's just, it's, it just doesn't feel right to me and it feels super lazy. And uh, I expect a smarter, smarter work uh, from, from here. Um, Not really faulting the cast. I generally like all this performers quite a bit, you know, Um, but, but man, I, you got to give me some better writing here, guys. And just contrast. All right. And, you know, we talked about this last week, right. But uh, our good friend, Aaron Waltke, and all the people involved with Prodigy really took it on the chin, you know, deep sixed, right? Well, the writing on that show is infinitesimally better than it has been on the second season of Strange New Worlds. Those guys, they write very crisp, short episodes, and they're very well done. They're smart. They don't insult your intelligence, and they feel like Star Trek. Hmm. I feel like I'd like to see that crew of writers given a shot at writing um, – some of the episodes for this show because I feel like they're working, their cylinders are firing, they're working on a higher level. So I need to shout out now because I hate sounding annoying and I hate sounding like that cranky guy when Paul's in a bad mood and doesn't like anything, but I feel like that's what we were served up and it was just really mediocre and not so great. So you missed out for a whole week. I don't even know if Eric can really control himself because he's been made to wait till being last after missing a whole week. How wrong so is, this that? is that? that that's so this wrong. Is bad side, Paul point two. <laughs> no, it's just you know, you know. I mean, I don't. Uh, I, you know, last thing, I I just can't fake it or lie. It's one of those yeah. things, right? I just can't. My, it, you get to be a certain age, your filter erodes until it's gone. And so I really feel <laughs> it's important to just you know, you know, call a spade a spade, and uh, you know, and uh, when something doesn't hit, call it out and say why, and not hold back. So that's how I roll. Eric, how do you roll? And welcome back. And I need. <laughs> I would like to have your dog, please. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> my dog is amazing. Uh, she is amazing. Loves, loves your house. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, I gotta say, I can't. I literally, maybe for the first time, cannot disagree with a single thing that Paul has said in this podcast so far related to this episode. Um, I wrote, <laughs> wow. I, I, I wrote down like some some uh, high points for me, which was uh, so agree with Jim. Unpike like a hundred percent, man. What the hell was going on with Pike in this episode? It like I, my wife and I, when this episode was done, we looked at each other and we went, "Was that Star Trek?" Like we just couldn't. It just didn't compute for us. Um, I will agree with whoever said that they liked the captain captain relationship. I actually like that Pike is forming more of a long-lasting relationship with this other captain. I kind of felt like previously that it was a little bit of a fly-by-night thing, but but now it feels like, okay, these two people actually like each other. They're trying to invest some time. You know, they're talking about, like, how much time, how much bandwidth they both actually have for each other, which I think is an interesting conversation. So if I give this episode any points, it's for that 
component of it. Um, but generally speaking, I found this episode incredibly tedious, like Paul said. Um, I, I thought the lighting, <laughs> the, the writing was, was really lazy. Um, Paul said ham-fisted, yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't resonate for me. Um, we, we, when we watched the episode together, we got done and, and we couldn't, I couldn't remember a single meaningful thing that had happened in the entire episode, and that was literally at episode or at minute like fifty-eight when the thing was. Come on, man! We broke up all those rocks and put them in the wheelbarrow. That I, was I, you know, I forgot about the rock breaking until you guys just brought it up. So that's how forgettable this episode was for me. And um, forgetting is no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, and as a sequel to The Cage, so to speak, I mean, Discovery had a little bit of a sequel to The Cage because we had the whole Vena thing, which was pretty cool. But, like, as the first real sort of sequel to The Cage, to me, this missed on every single level. And and I'm going to actually just stop this conversation right now and say that I'm going to take Paul's score and I'm going to degrade it. And I gave this episode a four when I wrote it down. On a yes. Because I just, I, I thought it was almost, like it wasn't quite trash, but there was, there was very, anytime I evaluate a Star Trek episode, I try to go to, okay, what are the things that are interesting to me that have to do with the human experience that I can pull out of this episode? And I just couldn't pull anything. Like, uh it was interesting to – I like some of the Ortega stuff a little bit better than Paul did. Uh, whatever. It was cute. I, was there a deja vu moment? Had they shown us that one scene with her in the hat at some preview point? Because I felt yeah, like – Yeah, in trailers. Was, in trailers they had. Like okay. a trailer for the, first, a, for the yeah. second scene. It was, it, it was one of the teaser trailers. Okay. So they, there was definitely God. like a deja vu moment there. But, yes. but to me, like deja vu wasn't – enough to even keep me interested. I love Ortega. She's one of my favorite characters, and I felt like they tried to feature her, but it was almost in like a parody kind of way. It was it was totally weird for me. So, yeah, you guys, I'll give this one a four, and I, like Paul's five-something that he gave, I will feel like a four is generous. I, I, I will not watch this episode again. That's what it comes down to. You, you, you know what I, I forgot to mention, Eric? I still truly, truly dislike the music that they are using. Yeah, it's not good, good, Jim. And and the thing is, is, I don't know why they're missing the mark on that because I feel like recent Trek has been so good when it's come to the setting the mood of each scene. And maybe like part of it for me is that the scene still has to be good and then the the music just kind of like takes it to the next level. But you're right. Even the basic background stuff just isn't as interesting. I don't, I don't know. I have to look Rock it up and breaking. find out who's writing it or something. Yeah, it's just not, I don't know, it's not resonating for me. Hmm. Well, the, Season the two is, is so much weirder than season one. I don't know what's going on here, guys. The music isn't matching the tone of the scenes where the music is being used for me. You know, like you had the classic well, and we've had... fighting Kirk. The classic Star Trek fight music in every episode. The music that they're using in Strange New World just doesn't go with what they're showing on screen. So that's something else for me that I'm, I'm kind of feeling 
lost about. <laughs> well, I'm almost wondering if they're gonna if the episodes later in the season are gonna kind of like kick it up a notch because it feels almost like remember back when we had 26 episodes per season and we would get out of 26 episodes we might get like six that were really just like not that good we're just sort of filling time right so if you figure in a 10 episode season 20% of the episodes so that's two episodes we should get two episodes that really just aren't that great but maybe provide a little bit of background I feel like we've already had those two episodes and we're only four episodes in so the last six better be bangers you know what I'm saying well, we got the going. Oh, ab- absolutely. Well, guys, what 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 did we come up with, Charles? What what did the host versus the fan? Um. Well, with our guest host last week, I thought our numbers looked a little low, but I think we've gotten a new all-time record of low scores from the host, with a result of six. Point four two. Should I change my score? <laughs> <laughs> to a to a four. Too late, David. You can't do that, David. <laughs> no, because David's our high score. Already. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been generous. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't have another donut. That much, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Those are our thoughts on Amongst the Lotus Eaters. And now now is, is a fun part of the show because now we get to reach back and remember all of our favorite actors, our favorite characters from our favorite episodes and our favorite Star Trek series. And, of course, I'm talking about Star Trek Birthday. All right, guys, every week we start our Star Trek birthdays off by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we are remembering five members of our Star Trek community who have passed before us. The first is actress Lisa Baines. She was the actress who portrayed Dr. Ren Hall in Deep Space Nine's third season episode, Equilibrium. Lisa Baines uh, also made guest appearances on many popular television series, including Spencer for Hire, which... If that sounds familiar, familiar, yes, Avery Brooks, of course, was on the show. Uh, Murder, She Wrote, Frasier, Six Feet Under, lots and lots of shows from that era, including things from the new era, Jim, including the Orville. That's right. Lisa was on the Orville. <laughs> You're welcome. She was also on Once Upon a Time, which is a show that I absolutely love uh, and is a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. She has some motion picture credits, including Cocktail, Young Guns, Without Limits, Pumpkin from 2002, and A Cure for Wellness, uh, also starring Jason Isaacs. So Lisa Baines would have had a birthday this week. We just lost her uh, two years ago, guys, back in June of 2021 at the somewhat young age of 65 years old. So Lisa Baines would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Lisa. Also, happy birthday to actor Ron Glass, 
Ron Glass is, uh, I remember when we lost him, I was so sad, so sad. Um, in Star Trek, he is actually known as Loken in Star Trek Voyager's seventh season episode, Nightingale. But you probably don't know him from that, honestly. You probably know him from playing Shepard Book in Firefly. That's right, Book himself, the original book, <laughs> which then we got a later book in Star Trek Discovery. But the original book... Um, I can't believe that he's been gone for so long at this point. That's uh, what is that? Seven years ago, um, he played that. He played that role uh, for Fire, Firefly throughout the entire series, which was only one season. Then he reprised the role in the movie Serenity. He also, in 1982, starred in a short-lived African American version of The Odd Couple called The New Odd Couple, which uh, was pretty interesting to start with, but never really took off, honestly. Um, he has done a ton of stuff. You should look at his IMDb page. He definitely um, went all the way to 2013 uh, when he did some Marvel work. He was in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and we lost him, like I said, back in 2016. So Ron Glass, uh, I love him. Like, to me, he will forever be book. <laughs> in Firefly, because to me, um, no other role did he sort of embody the the, the peaceful, warlike, uh, wise old sageness of a character. So thank you so much, Ron Glass, for your work, and happy birthday to you. Happy birthday as well to actor Edward Wiley. He was the actor who played Governor Vogg in Star Trek The Next Generation's fourth season episode, The Mind's Eye. He also played a uh, Cardassian, Gull Torin, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's second season episode, Profit and Loss, which is kind of a fun episode. You should watch that. What is that, season five, something like that? Um, Edward Wiley made his screen acting debut in the 1981 film Chariots of Fire, which if you have not seen that movie, well, you should probably see that movie. Uh, but he was also in some other fun movies like The Hunger, which is one of my favorite vampire movies, just a little cult fun there. He was also in Morons from Outer Space and 1986's Highlander, yes, uh, which I, they call a cult movie. It's, you know, it's hard for me to say like cult movie when it's something that means so much to me. But <laughs> Edward Wiley was in 1986's Highlander. Uh, and I love that show. He or movie. He was also in thirty or so other uh, television shows along the way. So, happy birthday, Edward Wiley. We did lose him really early, guys. Um, you can go find out why we lost him so early. But he died at the age of forty years old back in 1995. Happy birthday, Edward. Also, happy birthday to Keith Andes. Uh, Keith Andes lived to be 85 years old. He was the American actor who played Akuda in the original series episode, The Apple. That's right, one of those guys with like the Oompa Loompa faces and the big hair and that kind of stuff. Uh, Keith served in the U.S. Army Corps during uh, World War II, after which he performed in the 1943 Broadway musical Winged Victory and had a minor part in the film version the following year. That's how he actually got started. He sort of got in with Lucille Ball uh, and then appeared opposite her in the Broadway musical Wildcat in 1960, and then that would actually lead to a spot on her show and kind of get her into the whole, or get him, excuse me, into the whole, like, uh, 
you know, Lucille Ball scene. Uh, he was also in the movie Tora Tora Tora, which is one of those classic, classic movies. He was in Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, which I know Jim loves. And he did some uh, kind of like uh, Western work back in the day, Gunsmoke, The Rifleman, and then uh, some of that back lot, you know, 40s uh, Paramount lot stuff like Andy Griffith Show and Perry Mason. So 72 acting credits to Keith Andy's name. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Keith Andy's. And our final remembrance this week goes out to Robert Big Buck Maffei. That's right. Uh, Robert Maffei. Uh, we lost him all the way back in 1982. He played the Taurus II Anthropoid in the original series, first season episode, The Galileo 7. And uh, Robert Maffei, you know, all of his acting credits have to do with the fact that this man was seven foot one inches tall. If you are thinking metric these days, that is 2.16 meters in height. Pretty impressive. Uh, what I didn't know before I did my research for this was that he actually was a character actor, voice actor in the 1978 animated version of The Lord of the Rings. So if you haven't seen that, uh, you should watch it because it's pretty cool. And he actually did some voice acting. Every single one of his acting credits has to do with his height. <laughs> Let's just say uh, he played big guy at the door in Nice Dreams. He was a character actor in Lord of the Rings. He played a creature in Star Trek. He played the giant Cyclops in Lost in Space. He played Greed in Magic Christmas Tree, the strong man in Follow the Sun, Andex the giant in Atlantis, the Lost Continent, and Hercules in Bonanza. So uh, this man was definitely known for his visage, his physical presence, Robert Big Buck Maffei would have had a birthday today, actually, July 13th, 1930. Happy birthday, Robert Big Buck Maffei. And that, you guys, does it for our remembrances this week. So I'm going to pass that flaming birthday candle on to Charles. Oh, thank you, Eric. My first few I'm going to go through a little quick because they didn't have a whole lot on their resume. Happy birthday to Dawn. Arnamond, the actress who played Miss Gladstone in Star Trek's Next Generation, second season episode of The Child. Catherine Kitty Moffat portrayed Atana in Star Trek's Next Generation, fifth season episode The Game, and appeared as the trick Tara in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's second season episode Necessary Evil. Corey Mendel Parker played Paul May- May- Mayweather in Star Trek Enterprise season episode Horizon. Happy birthday to Jaina Michaels, that child actress who played young Kess in Star Trek Voyager's third season episode Before and After. Sorry about that pause. I had somebody crawling, just about ready to crawl over me, a.k.a. Cat. Happy birthday. Here's one for Eric. Happy birthday to Scott Grimes, action musician who, who appeared as Eric in Star Trek's Next Generation, 
Next Generation, third season episode, Evolution. Has done quite a bit of voice work in American Dad, Family Guy. Uh, appeared quite a bit as a doctor in ER. And has performed, actually did a his own album with help from one of the Carpenters and has performed <laughs> with Bob Hope. The Carpenters and Merv Griffin. Whoa. But he is better known Yay. <laughs> as Gordon from Orville. I love Gordon. He's one of my favorite Oh, my characters. God. Twice in the same podcast, guys. You're killing me. <laughs> we are going to win you over one day, brother. One day. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. But maybe. <laughs> Uh, happy birthday to Lawrence Pressman, who appeared on Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Tenki Gamor in third and fifth season episode, Second Skin and Ties of Blood and Water. Definitely a classic uh, movie actor. Appeared in the movie Nine to Five, Shaft. The TV series Doogie Howser, M.D. Ah, definitely a very happy birthday to Micah Burton, who played Alondra LaForge in the third season of Star Trek Picard. And better known, we, some of us got to know her a little bit as one of the two hosts in Star Trek Day 2021. And the last one on my list, a happy birthday to Linda Park, who played the communications officer, Ensign Hoshi Sato, in Star Trek Enterprise. Interesting that her first movie she was ever in was Jurassic Park 3. Her first real TV show was Enterprise. Also starred with Marina Sirtis in the movie Spectres. So I'm going to pass the candle over to Paul. Who's on your list, Paul? Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it, man. Well, we've got all kinds of folks here. A lot of people have birthdays in the summer. No surprise. So uh, let's get right to it. First of all, we're going to say happy birthday to Billy Campbell, who played Thaddeus Okona in Next Generation second season episode, The Outrageous Okona. Uh, returning later to voice that same role in Prodigy first season episodes, Crossroads and Masquerade. So a great presence. And uh, uh, if you're an 80s sci-fi guy, you may remember Billy Campbell as playing the title role in the classic pulp comic book adaptation of The Rocketeer. Yes. Really fun movie that a lot of people yes. know. I love that movie. We just watched it two weeks ago. Isn't I love it. it. Great. Very it's old so fashioned. Great. Super yep. pulpy, uh, but really delivers the, the chops. It manages to have a refreshingly, almost kind of naive nostalgic so quality to it without, yep. you know, being awesome you know, movie. juvenile. Yeah. Like, juvenile, yeah. yeah. I think it's a terrific picture. So really check it out. But Billy Campbell is an awesome dude. Very, very cool performer. Happy birthday also to uh, the wonderful Pamela Seagal. And now, Pamela Seagal is an Emmy Award-winning voice actress, but we're acknowledging here uh, her contribution to what I would consider one of the best episodes ever 
of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's a third season episode called Who Watches the Watchers. So good. Big fan of that episode. So good. With all kinds of cool things, mythology, um, accountability, the prime directive. It, it's just a dynamite episode. And she played the character of OG on that uh, particular episode. So she was like the younger person, kind of at that teen level. Um, her uh, father was the the kind of main catalyst character. Uh, uh, God, I'm trying to remember her his name, but he was the dude from like RoboCop, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Weller. Yeah, Liko. Yeah, so she's Liko's daughter, and she's the one who's really paying attention to things, and she will clearly inherit the mantle of being uh, the leader of that society when time comes. So a really great performance, really cool. But she's done a ton of other things, too. So happy birthday to Pamela Seagal. Uh, old school uh, first season TOS fans, front and center here. And let's pay happy birthday tribute to the great Michael Barrier, who played the character of DeSalle in original series, first and second season episodes. Ready? He did three. Squire of Gothos, absolutely a classic. This Side of Paradise, another classic. And Cat's Paw, where we do our little Halloween craziness in season two. Uh, Michael Barry is interesting because he's that second fiddle, tough guy, almost like kind of like, you know, I need somebody tough to come down to this landing party with me. Right. And he's hanging out with Sulu a lot. He's almost like sort of the uh, granddaddy of like the red shirts, except he never gets killed. Right. He's just always there. How does he show up and never get killed? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think he was wearing a red shirt though either. So I think he was, I think he was command, like, you know, gold shirt dude, but, uh, but you know, he's just nice to see somebody repeatedly who, uh, shows up and doesn't feel disposable. Right. And it was a really good performer. So I always thought that DeSalle could be a regular character, you know, it really could be. So happy birthday, Michael Barry. We see you and we remember you fondly from those portrayals there. We're also going to wish happy birthday to Adrian Walters, who played Cadet Taz Gorev in the Discovery fourth season episodes, Kobayashi Maru, All is Possible, and Coming Home. So a trifecta of episodes for Adrian Walters there. Will we see you again? Don't know. We're going to say happy birthday to Megan Parlin, also the actress who played the young Ro Lauren in the Next Gen 6 season episode, Rascals, which I'm pretty fond of. I thought that, oh, God, they're going to be kids. That's going to be really annoying. And it's a great little episode. So I really think that's worth uh, checking out. Very, very cool. Um, Now, I know that my friend Eric is a big fan of evil admirals. But what about evil captains who sometimes (laughs) run amok, right? Like Garth of Izar, for example, would be one that comes to mind, right? Well, I'm here to say happy birthday to really cool, badass character actor William Smithers from Richmond, Virginia, who played Captain Merrick in the uh, second season classic episode, Bread and Circuses, that crazy Roman uh, episode. Here's a guy who, for whatever reason, decided to jump ship <laughs> literally and figuratively and go a bit native on the planet there and bring modern technology into ancient Rome. And he's kind of a not such a great guy. He kind of has a attempt a, a squeaky kind of trying to find redemption at the 11th hour there when it's just yeah. too late, but uh, but it's a pretty passe move. But cool performance. He's a cool. <laughs> it's a cool character. Merrick is right, and uh, it it's is. one. Of the, you always like to see when somebody uh, who has been through the training program 
com- mm-hmm. been promoted to captain, commanded <laughs> hundreds of men, and then falls from grace and gets tempted because guess what? He's a human being and he loses it and he doesn't quite, he just can't go along. He abandons the Starfleet values and justifies his bone behavior. I always think that's really super fascinating. Probably one of the reasons I think that's fascinating is because it was such a good performance <laughs> that we got from uh, from our man, William Smithers, because I just think that that's a great thing. So go check it out if you haven't seen that recently. Eric, if I say to you the name of a character named Daniel Simpson Day, who would I be talking about? Oh, man, uh, this is a uh, very important character. Daniel Simpson Day is somebody that I I just can't think <laughs> That's all right, because you know why you can't think of it? Because I can't. You're on, because you're on double secret probation. Oh, that's why. Because Daniel Simpson it. Day was the character of D-Day in Animal House, one of the oh. most beloved comedies of all time. Of course. Why are we talking about this character? Because he was also played by the great actor Bruce McGill, who oh, uh, played, McGill. we're acknowledging here, who played Braxton in the Voyager fifth season episode, Relativity. But uh, you don't have to look very far to find cool roles that uh, Bruce McGill's in. This is a cat who's done all kinds of stuff over the years. Uh, He really uh, basically has never stopped working since Animal House. You will see him very often on crime and police shows and procedurals like that uh, because he's really good at playing either cop or heavy. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. he's got that face. Yeah, he he's on, been like, on like Law Forever or something. Suits, MacGyver, I mean, yeah. just tons and tons of stuff. He's, got that um, fate. He, he's done a lot of work, work on like Family Guy. Uh, uh, he was in uh, Spielberg's Lincoln, had a small mm-hmm. part in that, um, and a lot of good cop shows and crime shows. He's a, he's a cool dude. So always great to see that. Always great to remember uh, the great Animal House, which about it was a movie How that he was came. In that. Yeah. yeah, he's the guy with a motorcycle, D-Day, and a big mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just so funny because here was a movie at the time, other than Donald Sutherland, just about everyone in it was an unknown. You know, people knew who John Belushi was. Mm-hmm. And just about everybody in that picture ended up becoming a massive star down the road and working for the next, you know, 40, 50 years. So really cool. But uh, Bruce McGill, we love you. And, uh, and it's really cool to know that amongst your many, many, many credits, you're also a Star Trek Voyager cast Ooh. member. Thanks to relativity. So pretty cool. We love that. We're saying happy birthday also to Tom Marriott, who played a shepherd captain in the Strange New World's first season episode, Children of the Comet. And finally for me, we're going to say hello and happy birthday to Walker Brandt. Uh, Walker Brandt is an actress who played Jean Hajar in the Next Generation fifth season episode, The First Duty. Wow, is that a good episode? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the... That's all Star Trek there, all accountability and Starfleet uh, ethics. Uh, a really cool one. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. So that's what I got for you on my birthday slice there. There's just cake everywhere. Everyone's got frosting all over. It's a total mess. <laughs> I'm going mm, to grab some wipes and try to clean up, but uh, I'll pass the, uh, the, the cake-serving uh, utensil over to Uncle Jim. Well, my ice cream is melting, so I guess that's okay, mm. right? Uh, I've got some birthdays. I've got some really good ones. I've got some really awesome and one really incredible one. So I don't want to hold you guys up. I want to dive right in. We want to say happy birthday, Tim Darby, who played Miri in Star Trek, the original series, first season episode, 
Mary. If you're a horror fan like me, though, you probably saw her in Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, where she played Deborah Strode. Happy birthday to Kim Darby. We also want to say happy birthday to Matthew McFadden, who played the Romulan commander in the Star Trek Strange New World first season episode of Quality of Mercy. And I got to tell you guys, if they were, they should have had James Frain play that character. Because well, for those they of you probably no. Yeah. Uh, Mark Leonard played that character on TOS, and then he played Sarek later on on TOS. I think it would have been some really good symmetry for those of Parody. us old enough yeah. to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, either way, it was a great episode, great character. So happy birthday to Matthew. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Robert Napler, who played Wyatt Miller in the Star Trek The Next Generation first season episode, Haven, and also played Gaul in Star Trek Voyager sixth season episode, The Dragon's Eat. Uh, the next one is a, a British-Canadian actor who played a Vulcan Admiral Terrell on Star Trek Discovery. Of course, we're talking about Conrad Coates. And uh, Eric, Admiral, good, evil, what do you think? You know, I think he falls into the nice versus naughty category, although he's a bit dry. Uh, he's a Vulcan. So. <laughs> exactly. We'll give it to him. Uh, the next one is really interesting. Uh, we'd like to say happy birthday to Robert Pine. And if you're saying to yourself, Pine, Pine, where have I heard that name before? You would be absolutely correct. Uh, Robert Pine, who played uh, Ambassador Weira in Star Trek Voyager's third season episode, The Shoot, and Captain Tavin in Star Trek Enterprise first season episode, Fusion, he is the father of Chris none other than Captain James T. Kirk himself in the Kelvin movies. But if you grew up in the 70s watching cop shows, um, you probably know him as the captain from Chips. And who was on Chips with him? Michael Horn. So happy birthday to Robert Pine. And the last one, but definitely not the least one, because I've got some bigger ones on my list to come, but... Uh, the last one on my list, we want to say happy birthday to Sir Patrick Stewart. And who did he play? He played Captain James T. Kirk on Star Trek. Absolutely. Press. Yeah, and, yeah. No, 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 no. He was Spock. He was Spock, I think. He was Pretty Spock, sure. yeah. Yeah, he was yeah bald Spock. Spock. And, uh, bald Spock. No, Mr. come on, you guys. <laughs> Mr. Jean-Luc Picard himself, the captain that everybody could count on for so many years because – he was so much older than his crew, and he actually provided a lot of wisdom and a comfortable detachment to children that many people found um, comforting. <laughs> I thought he also would play in – oh, never mind. Uh, no, he's, he he, well, you know, the one thing I do remember about Jean-Luc Picard is we were supposed to all get drunk and play ping pong together, if I remember right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kind of meta there. Well, yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, there was a movie that came out in the 80s that I didn't particularly care for at the time. Uh, but after seeing the remakes, which I figured, how could they make a worse movie? The remake came out. I went back and watched the original one and found myself enjoying it. Of course, 
Patrick Stewart was in the original Dune. Uh, you can also find him as Gurney Professor Helix. X. Yep, yes. in the in the uh, X Men movies, Xavier, and he was also in Life Force, one of my guilty pleasure uh, sci-fi uh, Jim, type you didn't, horror. You didn't even mention Excalibur. Excalibur. What about Excalibur? What about I'm, Robin Hood Men in Tights? <laughs> Excalibur. Excalibur is an absolute classic. Yeah. Mean, it goes without saying, and he Deep. plays um, the knight there that supported. I forgot his name, but he was the honorable knight that supported um, Lancelot when he pulled the. Stuff. Yeah. Anyways, Excalibur, a great, great, great movie. Great, great actor. So happy birthday to Sir Patrick Stewart. And I always do the Klingons last, obviously. So how can you top Patrick Stewart? Well, we're going to try. We're going to say happy birthday and kapla and a happy trip to Stovacor to Sati Latas, who played who? Who did he play? We're a little bit confused with who he played because he played two characters in one. He's a British actor who played Ash Tyler slash Volk. Star Trek Discovery Season 1 and 2. And I was doing some research, and I was trying to find out, um, was Ash Tyler, was he a real officer, and they and they turned him, or what, was he created as a fake officer, as a Klingon? I'm not really sure about that one. But hmm. we might be seeing him again on Section 31. Who knows? But... Um, yeah, so happy birthday. And the last one on my list, I need to take a deep breath. I always save the Klingon for last. This guy's been more than a Klingon, so let me take a deep breath and uh, dive right in. We want to say happy, happy birthday, kapla, to Vaughn Armstrong. And who is Vaughn Armstrong? All right, here we go, guys. He played Goldenar on DS9's episode Past Prologue. He played Dr. Telek Ramor in Voyager's episode, The Dogs of War. In Eye of the Needle, he played Seth Gall. In DS9, When It Rains, and um, Voyager 2 of 9 as Lanthor. And Enterprise, he played Maxwell Forrest. Uh, what do you think? Good or evil admiral, Eric? A hundred percent good. The best of the best Starfleet admirals. Yeah, he was one of the few good guys. And why am I mentioning him? And the great attack wing card. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. true. Klingon cap and the Klingon captain in Sleeping Dogs. He also played the Klingon Koroth in a Voyager episode Endgame. And my personal favorite, he appeared as Captain Koroth in TNG's Heart of Glory. And that wraps up my Klingons and my Star Trek birthdays for tonight. But, as always, I saved the biggest, I saved the best for last. And I don't really have any words, really, to describe this next birthday that I, that I want to mention because it seems to me like he's just been around forever, kind of like the scar and, the, you know, the moon and the stars and the sun, uh, that he's just been a part of Trek talking from the very beginning, but he hasn't. Um, he's actually came along a little bit later down the road. It seems like uh, me and Charles and him have been together forever, 
but we haven't been. And Trek Talking just wouldn't be the same without our very own Eric. So I want to say happy birthday to Eric and play our very, very, very favorite Weird Al Yankovic song and send this one out to you. Happy birthday, Eric. Well, there's a punk in the alley and he's looking for a fight. There's an Arab on the corner buying everything inside. There's a mother in the ghetto with another mouth to feed. Seems that everywhere you look today, there's misery and greed. I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun. But that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's more than you can take, just blow out the candles and have a piece of cake. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. And for you, those for those of you who don't know, Eric did our theme song, which is incredibly awesome. And Eric puts together all of our promos that we play on the podcast as well. He's a very valued member of our Trek Talking team. And with that, I will turn it over to any of my other hosts that would like to say something special about Eric. Well, I'm going to say jump in, and the fact is, the show kind of bounced around with themes. And I think when Eric came in, we started to kind of settle on a theme. And I think we really struck it with the way our theme has gone, with our show notes of finally having the expectation of what we're doing every week. And I think without Eric, yeah. we wouldn't have gotten there. I think you're absolutely right, Charles. We were kind of uh... – you know, freetailing it every week. We just kind of did what we wanted to do. And at the time, I believe we were doing uh, Star Trek Attack Wing with with uh, oh, yeah. I believe, uh, GM Chris was with us Chris. at the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. that's right around the time when Eric jumped on and we were doing our Star Trek Attack Wing at that time. And that's when we kind of adopted the the layout and the show that we currently do, our format that we've been doing for a while, I think started way back then, which was how long ago, Eric? Oh, man, if I remember right, I think my first show was in the winter of 2017, so almost six years ago. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's right about the time yeah. when I met you. Yeah, that's right when I met David and before I met Paul, yeah. Wow. Crazy. Crazy time. Well, happy guys. birthday. Yeah, oh, happy, happy birthday. You know, and, uh, and I just like to say that, you know, Eric, uh, even though you are like, you know, one of the rare people who have the ability to have, you know, uh, project uh, professional and ethical standards to everything you work on and still have fun and be likable, it's not going to stop me from making sure that you get a visit from my attorney because. <laughs> You're the one I have to blame for me getting sucked into this Trek Talking universe. It's you know, so if true. it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Right? Yeah, if it so, wasn't for so, you either. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I got to find at some point you have to cast blame. And as great as you are at everything you undertake, Eric, I'm sorry, but the blame has to fall on you. So. <laughs> it's so true. To, to be continued. 
<laughs> well, I love it, guys, and I love being on this podcast so much. I love that we are five members strong these days, and I love that you know it, it flows every week. Um, Jim and Charles, you guys mean so much to me, and like you've been a huge part of my life for for so many years. Um, and I I love doing this podcast, and thank you so much for playing Weird Al for me, as is our tradition, <laughs> and uh, for allowing me to you know spout off about track once a week <laughs> you people you people who are listening you have no choice you must hear me <laughs> thank you guys uh, and with that we're going to move on to our star trek news priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel incoming transmission enter authorization code command codes verified Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, guys, all of the news stories that we're about to talk about, you can find in their entirety at trektalking.com. All right, Charles, you get to start us off. Okay, thanks, Jim. Well, let's start up with something I was just talking about in my last Star Trek club meeting. New audiobook recording of Star Trek Deep Space Nine novel, A Stitch in Time. Over 20 years since the definitive story of a Cardassian spy turned Taylor, Garrick hit the presses of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, A Stitch in Time. A much lauded novel is coming to audio format this summer. Narrated by Gary actor Andrew J. John Robinson, who penned the 2000 pocket novel. The book tells the story of Gary's life as a child on Cardassia and his time serving as a shadowy obsidian officer, years before his eventual exile to Deep Space Station Tarek Noor, a.k.a. Deep Space Nine. Long out of print, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, a stitch in time, has for years exceeded the $100 price point in resale due to the well-regarded nature of the novel and the fun of Garrick's character. While the book remains available in e-form, the new... So, uh, when you look up this book on Amazon these days, you guys, the Kindle price is eight ninety nine. The paperback price is about $170, and the mass market paperback version is a, close to $500. So the, the fact that this is available on audio for guys like Charles and I who listen to a ridiculous amount of audiobooks, uh, it's really special. Now, I've read this book. Uh, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to get it from the library and, and read it here locally. I will absolutely be listening to the audio version because Andrew J. Robinson, hello. <laughs> right? Yeah. Garrick himself. Garrick himself. I mean, like, if you want somebody reading the story, that's who you want. Love it. Absolutely. All right, David, you're, you're up next, buddy. Cool, 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 and I love Star Trek style invention, which is the next topic of my set of stories here. 
Uh, yeah, so Star Trek-style invention simultaneously carries out multiple medical tests like Mr. Spock's tricorder. Ah, for being a hospital man myself, I'm going in and out. I'm definitely pretty excited about this one. Mm-hmm. Science fiction is about to become a reality. Can't wait. Scientists have developed a cutting-edge device capable of performing multiple medical tests at the same time. This laser biosensor reminiscence of the Starfleet tricorder from Star Trek can analyze diverse particles simultaneously, including viruses and DNA. The portable high-tech device can identify the faintest traces of a specific virus, antibody, or protein marker for certain cancers in... Sorry, I lost my... Markers for certain cancers in a blood sample. It may even be able to detect airborne chemicals, warfare agents at levels far below toxicity. In experiments, the device successfully detects uh, detected a mix of nanobeads across eight orders of magnitude, expanding potential concentration levels by more than 10,000 times. Medical device company Fluxus Incorporated is currently commercializing the teen optofluidic biosensing technology. And additionally, the researchers are working to adapt their methods to study molecular products from artificial neural, 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 neural cells, tissue, organoids. This could potentially provide further insights into neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and pediatric uh, cancers. And to me, this sounds like it, it's almost too good to be true, but apparently it's now becoming a reality. Which it's is like the holy exciting. grail, David. Like, like <laughs> I can imagine as a guy who like has to get scanned, you know, on a regular basis, like something that detects multiple things at a time is very exciting. And this, this whole thing about this thing actually um, detecting over eight orders of magnitude, I, like mm-hmm. for anybody who is a math geek (laughs) so eight eight orders of magnitude so we're talking about something that's like point zero 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 one to one relationship like that is a we're talking like the number of stars in the universe versus the number of planets in the universe we're talking um, the number of grains of sand versus like how many lawn chairs are on beaches. It is an amazing, like, spread of mathematical um, amazingness that this thing is actually uh, harnessing. So I'm super excited about this. Um, And it's portable. And it's portable, right? They're right from the beginning, and they're making it portable, which means they can take it into places that, like, have poor poor medical care, like, poor... um, like mm-hmm. just people aren't watching out for people, right? You could take this thing in, you get all these data points. Doctors so, without borders. Very exciting. Very, very yeah. exciting. And what makes it even more exciting is that Star Trek continuously 
always seems to get inspiration into people, and Invent this the is the result of from what Star Trek is all about. David, this is this is life imitating art, which to me is the highest form of science fiction, right? Because yeah. if you are if you are not only enjoying the stories, but if you are enjoying the benefits of the stories, of the concepts that come up while people are telling stories, that's the ultimate benefit of science fiction. Yeah, totally agree with you. We're totally becoming science fiction ourselves. Huh? We are. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew that science fiction was be, was going to become mainstream culture, right? We all well, yeah. like, grew up as nerds and like were chastised for it, and yet here we are. Everybody is living our culture. And this <laughs> isn't the only technology that Star Trek has actually made reality. No, Apparently, they tablets, also came Jim. up with the cell phone, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole uh, portable yeah. flip phone or even uh, the iPads. So... All thanks for Star- thanks for Star Trek. This stuff has now become a reality. So pretty exciting. There it is. So Eric, I believe you have our next segment. Yes, I absolutely do. Uh, I am pretty excited about this. So ten essential Star Trek: The Animated Series episodes that you must see, and we have often extolled the virtues of this uh, often overlooked portion of Star Trek here. So we have 10 episodes that uh, this article feels like you should you should probably check out. Star Trek, the animated series, just Star Trek at the time, has gone, ha- has gotten a raw deal over the decades. If you think the animated series is, quote, just for kids, it's not. Plus, you might want to let your inner child out a bit more anyway. Sure, the animation might be a bit dodgy in places, but suspend your disbelief and enjoy some Emmy-winning writing. That's right. These episodes may be unfamiliar to many. If you haven't already, here are the 10 animated series episodes that you really should see. So, number 10, we have Beyond the Farthest Star. I will say that I agree with this uh, particular uh, article because this is the very first episode of the uh, animated series, and it sort of sets the stage uh, while the Enterprise finds a deserted starship orbiting a dead star. Sounds interesting? Maybe you should watch it. The next one we're going to talk about is the Lorelei signal. The Lorelei signal is also a very Extremely good episode, The Race of Beautiful Women Remains Immortal by Stealing the Life Force of Men. It sounds a little weirdly sexist, but it's actually pretty interesting and actually kind of deals with some fun stuff related to men and women. So I definitely do recommend that episode. Thank you for recommending that article. Then number eight, we're talking more troubles, more tribbles. The sequel, right? You get more Harry Mud, you get more Tribbles episode, or excuse me, season one, episode five. Why would you not want to watch that episode of the animated series? Then the and purple and, and purple Klingon too. Don't forget that. Per, well, that's right. <laughs> forget about that. Yeah, absolutely. So and there are some funny like articles about why some of the the uh, races in the animated series end up weirdly colored or that kind of stuff. There's some animation stuff in there, but. The, the fourth, I guess, episode that you should see here in the animated series is The Infinite Vulcan. And we have talked about this episode a lot. You want to talk about Spock 2? 
you want to talk about references in uh, Lower Decks, this is the episode you have to see. So uh, the Infinite Vulcan uh, Season uh, 1, Episode 7, please watch that for sure. Then we're looking at the Slaver Weapon. The Slaver Weapon is so cool. Most people don't know that this writer, Larry Niven, wrote an episode of Star Trek. And when he wrote it, he brought one of his own characters from the Ringworld novels, the Kazinti, into Star Trek lore. And so there's a nice crossover of Larry Niven's Ringworld books and Star Trek in The Slaver Weapon. So I'm just saying, if you're a total like 50s, 60s Star Trek nerd, you have to see this episode. Uh, it's one of the big ones. We also have Mud's Passion, the sort of continuation of the Harry Mud story, which is the third episode, if you count TOS, and then the two TAS. You have the Practical Joker, which is another very good episode written by Bill Reed that um, I'm not going to tell you anything about, but it's pretty good. The Counterclock Incident. Um, one of the other ones written by Bill Reed along the way that includes some Eric stuff. Eric's, who's Eric's? Well, watch the animated series. What do all the uh, people look like as kids? Watch the series. Uh, you're going to see that in the Counterclock Incident. And then topping it off, honestly, with what we've always, I think, on the podcast considered the, the creme de la creme, the best episode of the uh, animated series, we have Yesteryear, written by O.C. or D.C., excuse me, O.C., D.C. Fontana. Who is D.C. Fontana? Dorothy Fontana, right? One of the best writers of Star Trek of all time. She wrote this amazing episode of Yesteryear, which takes the Spock story and sort of takes it back, introduces the uh, concept of, of his pet, um, of his childhood. And I think that later Star Trek stuff has often reference that episode so uh if you haven't seen star trek the animated series it's really really good um and there's actually a lot more good stuff in there than you think there is so look aside when you see the funny animation style you know look aside when you see the starship enterprise the same way in 14 different episodes because the writing is really where it's at in the animated series and i'm telling you it is absolutely worth it. So um, thank you, Jim, for giving me this article. Thank you for letting me talk about the animated series because you know how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to pick stories that I think you guys are going to enjoy. So that's not a coincidence. That's done on purpose. So speaking of which, Michelle Yeoh, Chris Pine, and Chaz Wick Bozeman are to get stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oscar-winning actress Michelle Yeoh, Star Trek actor Chris Pine, and singer Gwen Stefani will receive stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame as part of the class of 2024. Chadwick Boseman, the late star of the Black Panther, will be honored posthumously in the motion pictures category. He'll be honored in that same category, alongside Marvel boss Kevin Feige, producer Chris Melandrani, and actors Gal Gadot, Maggie Gallenthal, and Christina Ricci. The selection committee, which is made up of fellow Walk of Famers, carefully handpicks a group of honorees each year who represent various genres of the entertainment world. 
said Chairman Ellen Kay. So I think that I can't think of anybody better that deserves it than the awesome Michelle Yo. Okay. Well, Paul, you get to bring up the caboose here. All right, man, sneaking this in under the wire if we have time. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy has been nominated for TCA Award as producers fight for the show's future. Just one week after Paramount Plus announced they were removing a number of shows, including Prodigy, you nimskulls as part of Cost Reducing Purge, ahead of integration of Showtime. The animated Star Trek show is being honored by the Television Critics Association. The 39th annual TCA Awards were announced today, and Star Trek Prodigy was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Family Programming, a new category for 2023, which recognizes shows created for youth from seven years old and up. Since launching in 1985, this is the first time an active Star Trek show has been nominated for a TCA Award, according to Memory Alpha. Star Trek, the original series, won the TCA Heritage Award in 2020. This isn't the first high-profile accolade for the show either. Last year, the first season of Prodigy was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Series. The series won an Emmy for production design, and Paramount has confirmed that work on the second season will continue as they shot Prodigy to other networks who have more vision and common sense. (laughs) There's been no official word yet on any negotiations with any specific outlets yet as well. And then the Emmys just came out, I think, since this article dropped fellas and i believe there might be some emmy action in there too so i'm gonna have to go check that out to see if there was yet another accolade for this uh, woefully underappreciated show so uh, i know we're against the bottom of the hour so that's what i've got and let me pass it back to uh the obi-wan kenobi of trek talking uncle jim it's- well guys believe it or not we went through two hours just like that a blink of an eye but that's okay we had fun and it was eric's birthday so we had to get some extra fun in there in honor of (laughs) eric so (laughs) that's why so anyways uh on monday that's right monday we're going to be doing another special show and our very own very special friend of the show leslie sawyer i refer to her as the meat and potatoes of truck talking she's going to be joining us along with uh joe Zapata, and we're going to be talking about his new fan film as well. So you guys want to give us a call, say hello to Leslie, and uh, tell, tell, tell us what you thought about the new fan film. I want to say thank you so much to Eric, the birthday boy himself, for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. You bet, guys. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to David for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. It was really fun. And thank you, of course, to Paul, the toy guy. Thank you, Paul. It was the most fun I've ever had while wearing clothes. So thank you. Woo! TMI. Uh, <laughs> well, it's pretty good. We'll have to, <laughs> next week, we'll change that. We'll have to do naked Trek talking next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's going to be wet right and wild. wild. Wet and good. wild, Uncle Jim. Oh, my God. We're, we're on it, the radio, man. though. <laughs> We're on the radio, perfect, so nobody will know. The perfect venue. <laughs> and, of course, thank you so much to our very own Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. Fun as always. And, of course, as you know, Star Trek fans are the best fans. You guys better believe that. Please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies. 
are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.